Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Whatever your background is, I want you to know I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book that you can read for free that has in highlighted red print many links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos. This was all written by me, by the gifting of the Spirit of God to you. And those links in those YouTube videos are very profound and amazing. Those links that go to the YouTube videos. And they confirm the reality of what I am sharing here from many fields of science and archaeology. There's even links to some documentaries there on the discovery of the Ark. And it really has been discovered. Israel has been keeping it secret for some very important reasons that they don't want a major conflict. And that was through the work of Ron Wyatt many years ago. And his team, along with his sons, the in an amazing, powerful way discovered. And it's an amazing documentary to see. And of course, there was six people that the Israeli authorities sent in there to, I guess, possibly take the ark or whatever they were going to do. And they were smitten by the presence of God dead. I did see the photographs of all six of them that were pulled out by John Riot. They were dead because they didn't want anyone else to pull, pull them out. I can't find them now on the internet. They could be put back up by someone, but um, nevertheless, that's just an example of some of the things that are in that flip book. This message is for those that have come to know the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, the ultimate reality, the very life source of all, of all that is good. Who am I talking about? The one true eternal God. In the Old Testament of the Bible, in the King James Version, his, his name is often Lord God. And the word Lord is usually translated from the original Yahweh, which basically means the ultimate reality that is separate above and beyond creation that is the source of creation. It's also referred to in the scripture as the I am that I am. And the second word, which is the word for God, is Elohim, meaning the Almighties, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just briefly want to mention that for God to be Almighty, he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence and personage. If you're not in personage or conscious intelligence, it's, which is what I mean by personage, in those, in whatever realm you're to rule over, you can't rule over it. So God is in three personages over the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation and time and space as the Father in creation fully expressed the quality of the being of God into creation and his one and only full expression of himself, which is another word for the word son, 
is the word expression, which is Jesus Christ, who communicates and limits himself on a limited creature level to experience fellowship with his creation and to communicate with his creation. And then the other ultimate aspect of existence is omnipresence as the Holy Spirit filling all dimensions of time and of existence in the creation realm and beyond with the Father. And so God is to be almighty is in three personages. And I just want to share now the message that I am to bring, who it is for and how I share this message. This message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal through Jesus Christ, who is the full expression of God the Father. It is for the churches in a time that is very crucial, which is this time we are living in now, for the churches around the world. What I seek to do is what the Word of God commands us as believers to do in 1 Peter 4.11 when we gather together. God commands us, actually always, not just when we gather together, even if we're just together one or two or three doing the dishes as far as that matter goes doesn't mean that we don't have human conversation, but it commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us to one another, because when we do that, we minister blessing to one another. We build up one another. It says in Revelations 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And indeed, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, from the depths of our heart, out of the genuine fear of God and great humility and thankfulness, we are filled with the Spirit of God in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming by the Spirit of God and from God. To God and to one another. I've been in congregations, and there's very few around, that allow the gift of the Spirit to move in, the, in their midst. And I know how amazing it is when that happens. You can feel the Spirit of God rising up in you, and you don't want to quench it, and yet you don't know what exactly you're going to say, but you maybe have a just a seed thought of what God wants you to say. And then you sing out a song, and it comes out as a beautiful poem, even that you didn't expect would rhyme. Such things do happen. And I've seen it happen in this congregation I attended for some time and still love and appreciate and visit from time to time. God is calling us to be those that speak prophetically to one another. It is out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that the spirit of prophecy or speaking as the oracles of God comes forth. So I will seek to give this message in that way. And what I do to facilitate that, one of the things I do is to cast lots on the Word of God to get two chapters. There could be any possibility of a chapter in the Word of God. And so I use two independent random applications to get those two chapters that then I meditate on for a half an hour, 
and then preach from. And I seek to see the theme that is common between those two chapters, for they are they are two chapters in order to bear witness with one another and to understand what the theme is that God is wanting to bring forth. And so I will share what God is sharing here after just meditating on those two chapters for a half hour, not knowing what I'm going to be sharing. But before I do that, I also choose a hymn. And I did choose one today out of a hymn book of 1,080 hymns from the Lifestream Ministry um, hymn book, which also has many hymns that were done by the work of Watchman and his co-workers in China that planted many hundreds of churches. Watchman Nee was martyred in 1972. Um, these people were totally sold out to God and the hymns are very rich. So sometimes it's hymns from them and other times, I don't know, there's even more hymns probably from throughout church history in this hymn book. But today it is just one from throughout church history and it's not one we're going to sing I'll read a few words, but I will. we will sing another appropriate hymn, which is one from that work that happened in China. But I want to read a few verses of the one we got because I couldn't find one that was really I'm very fussy as to which ones I choose for us to worship with. They have to have really wonderful meaning in the words and depth in the songs and have the print so it can be used by a congregation on a projector through watching a YouTube video or on your phone if you want to just sing the song. But here's the one we received today by the casting of Lot. It says, who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Other lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. And there's many verses, so I cannot go through reading all the verses for time of the message, which is tr I try to keep within the range of a half hour. <laughs> it's quite difficult for me to do that, but, you know, I try to do it within that range and if it goes 40 minutes, that's fine because I want God to have his way. Okay, so, but the song we're going to sing together today, we will now do, which is on what the basic theme is, which you will discover as I begin to share from the two chapters I received. Uh oh, just want to bring up the right one here, first of all. Easy to get the wrong one sometime. But here we go. Uh-oh. Here we are. to man he in man made a 
feel just to read a few more verses of the one I did receive by lot. It says in the second verse, not for weight of glory, not for crown and palm. Enter we the army, raise the warrior psalm. But for love that claimeth lives for whom he died, he whom Jesus nameth must be on his side. Oh, I could keep reading this. It's so good, isn't it? Really? Jesus, thou hast bought us, not with gold or gem, but with thine own lifeblood for thy diadem. With thy blessing filling each who comes to thee, thou hast made us willing, thou hast made us free. The message today is um, now from the following two chapters that I received, which are Leviticus 11, and Luke 17. And so we will go to, first of all, Leviticus 11. And I, the key verse here in Leviticus 11 is in verse 44 to 45, where it says, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. Ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now this particular chapter is about what animals and insects you are allowed, and also things of the waters you are allowed to eat and not eat. And there's significance in those 
various things. So I do want to go to that chapter a little bit here and bring out that significance a little more in this chapter. So we're going to go back to, um, first of all, that particular chapter. Just read a bit of it. And it says here, beginning in verse 3, or maybe verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof. As the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And it goes on. And the swine, though he divide the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean unto you. Now, these creatures have spiritual significance behind them for this particular time as well. The swine, he doesn't chew the cud. What does the swine do? You give him food and he hogs it down so quick and he doesn't chew it properly. He just hogs it down like he's impatient, like he doesn't even know enough to really enjoy the food. He's just totally got, and this is representative of people. They're always grasping after the loves of the world. And when they get those things, they don't even know how to enjoy them because they're always grasping for more and other things beyond. And they're thinking, oh, if I do this and do this with what I got now, then I can get this. Isn't it amazing how some people destroy their lives because they don't even look after their health because they get so busy in wanting to make money in their business that they neglect sleep, that they neglect eating properly. And the next thing you know, they end up destroying their lives and in the hospital and having an early death. Same representation of hogging things down. Yeah, the swine might be very religious. He might say, oh, I live a holy life. I don't, I go to church. I, I, I'm a good citizen. I pay my tithes. I do all of these things. So I've got the cloven foot. I've got a lifestyle that is a pure lifestyle that is pleasing to God. But in his heart, there are all these things that have not been dealt with that have not been sanctified. God calls his people to holiness. And the purpose of holiness is that we may know how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor unto God. In other words, we come to that place of learning to love God and to deny ourselves. We come into a place of living a life of holiness that is not merely outward like the swine but that is truly from the depths of our heart, a heart that is separated in a love relationship unto God. This is so very important. That we know that kind of a relationship. 
and the insects and so on that are creeping are always close to the earth and touching things that are rotting and decaying. And those are the types of insects that God says not to eat. He says you can have the grasshopper. The grasshopper doesn't go around looking after, trying to find rotten food. It eats the fresh and the living food. It was one of the insects that you could eat. But so many people are attracted to the lying vanities, as it says in Jonah. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They're going and they're grasping after things that have no lasting value. They will give you pleasure for a moment and they're gone. And then there's death, there's decay, there's rot. They don't last. The things in this world do not last. We're not to heap for ourselves treasures where moth and rust do corrupt, as it says in Peter. Now, I want to share with you what God is saying by his spirit from Luke chapter 17, which also deals with the um, coming of second coming of Christ. I just want to make sure I turn to it in my um, thing here. There we go. I think I have it now. And the first thing that is in this chapter that is significant, we'll start it right at the beginning. I could really go right through this whole chapter. I might end up having a long message here. Then said he unto the disciples, verse 1, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea then that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, I'm sure that includes children. But it includes those that are pure in heart and are innocent in heart as well. And that maybe our new Christians are, you know, those that are tender before God they're just starting out in their lives. It says, take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if you repent, forgive him. Some of us, we fear rejection so much, we fail to reprove those that we should be reproving. We will rather look at ourselves as being so spiritual that we could take their abuse and think we're so spiritual that we don't say anything back. We're turning the other cheek. In fact, God is wanting us to reprove them, not in a wrong spirit, but in a right spirit of meekness. Because there should be such a love in our heart that we don't want to see them lose out in eternity because they are in such a state of being that in some measure is hell contagious. And if he repent forgive him. So if he doesn't repent, we ask God to deal with him that he might be brought to repentance. Our motive should be that he comes to the place of repentance where he can truly be forgiven by God. But we initiate forgiveness by going to them and humbling ourselves before them let's say, in a foot washing, which is really good to do as far as humbling ourselves before one another. We go to the one that offended us or that we are easily, we find difficult to love. 
and we seek to see those things that are of Christ in them, and we go up to them and wash their feet and say, I appreciate this in you and this in you. And, and there should be a true love in our heart to see that, that we do see of them come forth and blossom forth and cause the outward shell of the old nature to fall off that is so ugly that offends us. But as we're sharing with them what we appreciate, we can also share with them out of that meekness that I was hurt when you said this to me, so I want you to know that. And I believe you should really, uh, you know, think about that before God if you've really done right in the sight of God, because I do believe that that was a, certainly was a sin against me, and I'm wanting to know if you're willing to ask for forgiveness for that. That's important too. Now we go on in this passage here, and I want to bring out things quickly because, well, I'm not going to worry about the time too much because this is such a good passage. So Christ goes on and he says that we're to take heed. And he says, if the person, your brother or whoever it is, if thy brother trespass against thee, okay, we read that. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, Repent, thou shalt forgive him. And what did the apostles say unto the Lord? Increase our moral persuasion. See, the word pistis means moral persuasion in who God is. Our moral persuasion in who you are, that you have this quality in you that can forgive so that we can be like you. And also because it's hard for us and difficult for us to know how one can forgive a person when they keep doing this to you. And the Lord said, this is the answer. This is what you need to be like that. Your faith needs to be like a grain of mustard seed. And when it is like that, you can say to a tree, be plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. What is he saying here? He is saying that when your faith is not puffed up with pride, when it is totally a reality that is just filled with life because a mustard seed is something that is so filled with life that it can survive in desert conditions and still sprout. There's nothing puffed up about it. It's very small. It's very humble. And the genuine fear of God is what births faith because in the genuine fear of God, there is a reciprocation. It is a turning. It is a choice to turn from the heart and receive who God is. First of all, acknowledge from the heart who God is and then receive and reciprocate who God is first in the integrity of his love that requires judgment, which is his holiness. It is a right perception of the holiness of God that is contrary to the wrong perception of the holiness of God that Cain had who began to perceive God as someone that demanded appeasement and was like a dictator because he focused on all the consequences of the holiness of God that caused suffering and it caused him not to be fully deeply thankful for who God was in his heart so that he began to have an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God. God is calling us as his people to be those 
when we really see how holy God is and how severe he is on, on sin, but how good it is that he is this way because it means that he is not going to allow corruption, that there can be a destiny with no corruption, that his holiness is good. It says to worship God out of the beauty of holiness because out of the purity of God's love, the integrity of his love, comes beauty, comes what is not flawed, that causes beauty to be marred. It is out of holiness that is birthed wholeness in our inner being that causes that grasping to cease. If you continue in his word, the truth will make you free. And the truth is who God is in his holy, pure love that will not tolerate corruption or sin. And that causes us to be very humbled before God when we see how great his mercy is to us, like a grain of mustard seed. We are in the fear of God that births the reciprocation of faith that receives the love of God and faith works by love. And so there's this reciprocation of faith and love out of the fear of God that brings forth a pure, pureness in our being of faith that can forgive truly from the heart with love because we see how great God's love is to us. And when we have that kind of faith that is not puffed up with pride, that is pure, it is then that we can speak the word that is coming not from ourselves, but from the Spirit of God in us, because we are abiding in him and not in ourselves. We are in who he is in his perfection of being instead of our imperfection of being. And it brings forgiveness. It brings the power and authority to address the root of offense and our brother and sister and see it torn out of their soul that is tormenting them and causing them to torment others. But which of you, it says here, having a servant plowing and feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field. This is related to the grain of mustard. See what Christ is talking about here. He's again comparing what real faith is. When he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Here is a true thankful heart, unlike the pig that hogs things down. Here is a heart that is thankful, that isn't grasping after the loves of the world, that is thankful and content with who God is and doesn't expect to receive anything and 
is just filled with thankfulness and trust and knows that it is a privilege, a high privilege to serve the Lord and is so thankful to be able to serve Jesus because they see who he really is and his love towards them, towards the world. How wonderful. This is the kind of faith God is wanting us to have. It's an unconditional faith in him that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, for I trust in his creative power in his time to raise me from the dead, so to speak. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, there met him ten lepers that were ten men that were lepers which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 that were cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger, the Samaritan. You see, this is again illustrating the importance of this faith. It is as a grain of mustard seed that and that is pure and holy. And he said unto them, unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. This is the kind of faith that totally is so appreciative of who God is and his mercy to them that there's no desire even to go quickly to the priest and get healed or to go through the ceremonial things until those things don't become more important than the relationship of loving God, of showing wholehearted love. God doesn't want anything less than a passionate, wholehearted love relationship with him like the woman that broke the alabaster box at his feet, broke all her living in thankfulness and appreciation because she knew how merciful God was, how good his mercy was to have forgiven her so much. And he goes on and he says, neither shall ye say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Well, this is now talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to know in verse 20, when the kingdom of God would come. And Christ says it doesn't come by observation, it's within you. But then he does begin to talk about when the kingdom of God would come. He says, right now the days are such that you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and shall not see it. And there will come a time when they'll say, see here or see there, 
Go not after them. Those will be the false ones. But here's what the coming of the Son of Man will be like. For as the lightning that lighteth out of one part of under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be in his day. Like the twinkling of an eye, as it says in the word of God. No chance to observe anything. On the one hand, there will be the obvious return of Christ as is described in Matthew 24, where every eye shall see him and the call for the mountains and rocks. That will also happen almost at the same time as there is the translation of the saints. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected. And of course, we know about that. And he describes the conditions as being as it was in the days of Noah, where they were eating and marrying and drinking in marriage. Likewise, also in verse 28, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall, be, shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And then it goes on to say, in that day, um, he which is, which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. See, even a glance back at wanting the things of this world caused Lot's wife to turn to a pillar of salt. And I'm just about to come out with a very wonderful and in-depth book on the afterlife. And it's interesting that some of the people in their experience of dying in their where their body was physically dead, they just had a slight glimpse behind them because it was like a darkness that was trying to pull them in. And they could tell if they even glimpsed a little bit more, it would have pulled them in. But they turned and they turned to the Lord and refused to ever look back at that darkness that was trying to pull them in to hell. Even in that, there is this focus of love on God that must be total and complete. A wholehearted love doesn't look back. And so he goes on to say, I tell you that in that night there shall be two men and one bed. The one shall be taken and the other left. And he mentions others with similar things here. And then I skip down. And, and it says this, And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now, eagles are attracted to death. They are attracted to dead bodies. And the world is attracted to that which is dead. But those that are in love with God have become the very opposite of this. They are attracted to holiness. They're attracted to the purity of who God is. The, this pure love that is so holy and pure and so filled out of that holiness with the power to even take judgment upon himself and show mercy to us, which he did on the cross in Jesus Christ. So the message that God is giving from these two chapters is that the, the common theme between these chapters is understanding the quality and state of genuine holiness required to be fully received by God and especially at his coming. And that is what God is saying to the body of Christ today, to wake up and come out of the world 
totally be divorced, come into a full, there's nothing more satisfying than being filled with the Spirit of God and coming to a place of surrendering everything, putting it all on the altar, so that we're not grasping after anything, so that we're not fearful if God takes a someone that's very precious from us in a tragic accident or whatever, we'll still be thankful. Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac. Can we be those that fear God the way Abraham did? You see, it's, it was said after Abraham was willing to offer his son, the angel said, now I know that Abraham truly fears me because the word for the fear of God is the full reciprocation of his being that is wholehearted. It is a wholehearted love relationship. The genuine fear of God births faith that works by love because it is fully receiving the reality of who God is, which is that ultimate trustworthiness that can only be in this quality of being of a love so great that God would humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature. This is beyond our grasp, a love so great. The creator would do that for you even if you were the only one he created. That's what they know. Those that are genuine Christians that have died in their physical body for some almost two hours, like Dean Braxton, and others have said they experienced the same thing. The love was so intense, it's way beyond anything of this dimension to be able to comprehend. And it was so strong that they knew that Christ would have died for them only if they were the only one he created that he loved them that much, like he, they were the only one in the whole universe and they were the apple of his eye. That was the kind of love they experienced. They knew that God loved others the same way, but that was what it felt like. Oh, let us fall in love with our God and proclaim his love to others, that it is holy, that it is pure, that it is only the one that is, he is the only one that is worthy to be the ultimate trustworthiness, worthy to contain unlimited life, power, and authority because of who he is. A love so great to do what he's done for us shows who he is. And it was before the world was created in the infinite past that he had died on the cross already for us. It was always within his being to do it. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. May we be those that truly, truly learn to circumcise our hearts, to break up the fall of ground, and to seek God. I have a book which is titled God, Headship, and Body Invasion that you can get on Amazon, which is about everything you can do in your congregation to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. How can we possibly go back after all the crisis we are facing now, the danger of nuclear war, the danger of the economy collapsing, the, the election was stolen in the States, on the verge of being taken over by a Marxist government on the States. God will be merciful if we, as local assemblies, turn to him with all our heart and become his house of prayer and holiness instead of just being church, going through church the way we've done. God bless you all. Thank you for this, listening to this message and 
Please support me with your prayers and finances. I am in a difficult place right now financially, but um, I'm trusting God. Things will work out as I get this book up there and so on. So I can be free to focus fully on the work of God. Thank you. God bless you all.